You're listening to the Weekend Collective Podcast from Newstalk ZB. National Party Leader Christopher Luxon, g'day. G'day Tim, how are you? Good, you've been out in the garden I hear. <laughs> I have, my team gave me the afternoon off, so I've been out in the garden and uh, thank God it's not a video interview this one. Oh um, good. That's <laughs> great. Well so. one team gave you the afternoon off and the other team put you to work by the sound of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. No, it's always good to chat with you though, I appreciate you making time for me. No worries. Now let's just, before we get on to the farming, we've you know we've got a few mm. things to chat about. Let's just talk about a few issues, issues in politics over the past seven days. Um, mm. The Kerry Allen donation um, issue with Ming Foon, what's your take on, on that and what went wrong and how would you have handled it if it had been one of your ministers? Well, what should have happened is uh, Kerry Allen should have actually declared when she became a minister, and particularly justice minister, that she had received a donation. Um, she's obviously subsequently done that in the last 24 hours uh, after the event. But I guess what's happening is you know, we've had major issues with respect to you know, a really tight lobbyist community with the government. You've now had you know, senior civil servants who actually are supposed to maintain political neutrality, whether it's been Rob Campbell or Steve Mahare or Ruth Dyson and, and Ning Foon. Uh, and then you've also had a tradition of cabinet ministers, frankly, not following the cabinet manual, which is really designed to give us high integrity so that we maintain you know, high standards um, you know, of governance and government, um, you know, as we are famous for around the world. So, you know, first of all, it was Stuart Nash, now it's Kerry Allen, um, and there's been others as well along the way. So all in all, it just sort of doesn't feel like, um, from a team management point of view, that Chris Hipkins has got this gripped up and got his team gripped up on uh, what their obligations are and what they should and shouldn't be doing. What about the job? What about Ming Foon as the race relations conciliator? He's supposed to be... Impartial. Do you have confidence yeah. in, in the way he's doing the job? Well, I mean, it's really just about, again, you know, political impartiality is so important because our whole system works on a civil service that actually can support and work with any government. Um, but when you're giving don- donations to, to one party or another, uh, that's a real problem. And so you want to stay out of politics if you're in one of those jobs. Even if you've had a political background, if you think about someone like Annette King or Lockwood Smith, um, uh, who've gone on to do roles for New Zealand that are different from their political experience or careers, but they act in New Zealand's interest. They don't act in the Labour Party or the National Party's interest. So, mm. you know, we just have to we have to be quite uh, intentional about this in New Zealand because, you know, we don't have a well-developed um, watchdog. We don't have any watchdog scenario with respect to lobbyists, which we should have around declaring who you're lobbying for. Uh, we should have some stand-down periods when people leave government before they can go back to, you know, to lobbying governments. Um, you know, you saw Chris Farfoy leave and then within a matter of weeks he's back lobbying with his own lobbying firm. Well, he was sitting around the cabinet table literally, you know, only weeks earlier. So, you know, we just, uh, you know, the danger is we're all a bit relational, all a bit loose, and she'll be right. Uh, and actually, if our democracy is to stay intact, if we're to maintain high levels of integrity, yeah. and we want to be the best in the world in governance and government, um, where this stuff matters. And so just get it sorted, you know. And okay. it's just frustrating because, you know, as a leader of an executive team, you lay the law down pretty brutally and clearly, and everyone understands, and, um, and understands what's expected of them. Okay, moving on to another bit of a bit of another clangor this week uh, for National Down South, at least, with the selection glitch of Stephen Jack, who's gone down swinging because of the nature of the, some of his unseemly social media posts. Now, look, uh, you know, as you're not on, you're not involved with the selection, and local communities select their candidates. But um, are you concerned around appointment processes um, in various electorates? 
Well, look, I think in his is a particular case. You know, I did find, you know, as a father of a 21-year-old daughter, I thought his comments were crass and obscene and sort of um, offensive. And so I think it's entirely right that he resigned. And then there were subsequent, you know, posts, uh, and it just underscored why it was so important. I think, frankly, his reaction afterwards also underscores he probably hasn't got the yeah. judgment to be a good MP anyway. So that's, that's good. And most importantly, the party moved with incredible speed uh, and actually fronted up to that and dealt with it. And we've got standards. And as I said to the, the party, I expect the standards to be maintained and if that means it's uncomfortable from time to time, so be it. But we are going to have standards in the National Party. So, you know, that's that, that part of it. I'd just say on the other side, though, that, you know, with Sylvia Wood as a new president, me as the new leader, you know, we spent the first Christmas, you know, a year ago, uh, just going through code of conduct standards, uh, expectations, profiles that we need to get in as candidates. And I look at the candidates that we've got coming through, whether it's been, you know, Katie Nimmin and Catherine Wedd in, in Hawke's Bay, yep. whether you look at Francis Hughes and Mana, you look at Dale Stevens. You know, we've got a whole bunch of great, you know, James Christmas, um, Scott Sheeran, some fantastic candidates coming through. So uh, I think we've done a great job of attracting people to politics, which is not easy in the yep. day and age. You know, there's not <laughs> a lot of good people who want to come into into political life. And right. uh, and then, and the, the fact that they are and they're up for it and they're aligned with our values and they want to step up and do it, it's fantastic. Okay, now we, I promise we will get on to the farming announcement in a, in a bit more detail, but there was another announcement, of course, just recently from Australia, which has mm. made it uh, made some big changes for New Zealanders to mm. live in Australia, uh, which to me feels like a major victory for Australia. So the challenges, I mean, are you worried about an exodus? Uh, and actually, what would you do um, confronting the fact that all of a sudden Australia's just got a lot more appealing? Yeah, look, I think there's three things to this term. I think the first thing is for individual Kiwis, it's fantastic news because it's something that successive governments have advocated for for some time. And so, you know, at a personal level, I understand for New Zealanders it'll be a really good thing. I think it's a killer move from Anthony Albanese. I think he's been incredibly smart saying, look, I've got major job shortages everywhere. And if I can open up a market that is uh, close by that has very similar and well-trained people to come here, uh, that would be fantastic too. So good on him for doing the right thing by his country. Uh, but it just puts the pressure back on Chris Hipkins and uh, future national governments uh, to make sure that we are building a country that has huge opportunity for people. We want this to be the place that if you've got an idea, business idea, want to start a business, it's easy to do so and you can do so. Mm. If you want to take a raise your family, if you want to do something in the community, uh, this is a place to do it. So it does does put huge pressure back on and say, well, now there's, you can't stop it. So you can't yeah. stop New Zealanders going to Australia, but you actually better make New Zealand a much more compelling place to stay. Uh, and that means getting to yeah. work on the cost of living, growing incomes, dealing with infrastructure, health, education, law and order. Three, three occupations just off the top of my head come to mind, teachers, nurses, doctors. And I yeah. can imagine that if you're a young teacher or nurse or doctor, then Australia is looking very appealing. How much can we afford to bid against Australia when it comes to these professions? Well, we have to do the very best we can. But, but the, the issue is, it was interesting. I had a, a, um, uh, an intermediate school teacher and his partner who was a nurse come up to me um, a couple of months back and they just said to me, Chris, you know, we've been saving for a house. We've got an Excel spreadsheet. We've got good jobs, average incomes. It's all, you know, we're trying to work hard to get a you know, deposit for a house. But our landlord this week took our rent up another $50. And for the first time last night, we actually started looking at, at employment opportunities in Queensland. Don't want to go. Family's all here. Love New Zealand. But actually, we just can't seem to get ahead. And that's just why I underscore why you have to manage the economy incredibly well. And when you're 
managing a small economy, Australia's a medium-sized one, and the US is obviously a large one, uh, mm. you have to even be better at it, uh, because otherwise um, you get much more smashed around by, by global factors. So, yeah. you know, the fact that we have not dealt with inflation, which is a function of spending and printing a heap of money, you know, we're the second biggest country on earth printing uh, spending money, we're the fourth biggest printing money, and then we shut the whole joint down and, and shut off immigration, and now immigrate, immigrants aren't naturally exploring New Zealand like they once used to uh, as an option. They prefer Canada or Australia or somewhere else. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that led to inflation, that leads to high interest rates, that leads to recession, and then you lead to unemployment. So okay. yeah, this stuff's serious stuff, and that's why you've got to manage the underlying economy really well. Okay, getting on to the farming announcement, uh, lots of things to get into there. First one mm. um, that will make people a little uneasy, just intuitively, is the restoring of live animal exports. Um, what do you say to those people who are like, oh, God, I don't like the sound of that? Yeah, look, the first thing is that New Zealand's economy is now shrinking um, and we don't have the luxury of just turning off half a billion dollars worth of um, you know, income for New Zealand as a country. So that's the, that's the sort of one point. The second point is it's completely conditional on two things um, before we start it up. One is we need to have gold standard in animal welfare. Um, there are some very poor operators out there in the, in the global world for live exports. Um, and then to get a proper ship, for example, Tim, is about $100 million. It's got air conditioning, water, mm. uh, lots of density, lots of space, all that good stuff. And we had actually the last um, live export um, left, left New Zealand two weeks ago, and Nicola Grigg actually went out on that ship and has been getting daily updates on, the, on, that, on that journey as well. Mm. But it's just a, a different level of standard that we need to maintain um, on board those boats. And the second thing is we need to have a certifying list of countries that we would and wouldn't send uh, animals to. We need to make sure that um, they have the same standards of animal welfare that we have in New Zealand um, in those export markets. So, you know, but if we can reassure ourselves that we've got really good management of those animals uh, in those new, new countries that we are exporting to, if we make sure we have a gold standard and yep. set some really high standards on the transportation, we shouldn't, we don't have the luxury just to walk away from half a billion dollars. How much, uh, and, yeah, how much of a difference do you think, apart from that issue, how much of a difference can we make to the value of our dairy um, industry by the changes that you're suggesting? Because, I mean, there are cute slogans which, you know, if I was to be cynical, saying you're going to get rid of two regulations for every new one. Um, what yeah. people want is just good regulation. I don't really care about that so much, and I don't think a lot of New Zealanders do. What they care about is just, you know, farmers wanting to get on and um, without compromising yeah, exactly. the things that we value in the environment, etc. Yeah, we want good, clean, smart um, regulation. We need rules, we need regulation, no doubt about it. That's all good stuff. But what, what has happened, frankly, Tim, over the last six years is that you know, I think Labor has gone to war with farmers and they've just buried them in red tape. I mean, there's been 20 different changes to le legislation and regulations that have actually come across purposes. So you get things like fresh water legislation, which actually works at cross-purposes to winter grazing and also to wetlands, yeah. uh, and slope rules in, in significant natural areas, and new taxes, and then you become a water supplier. And so farmers are saying, look, I'm, I'm sort of getting 20 tennis balls hit over the net at the same time. I can't hit any of them as a consequence. Um, and as a result, um, you know, that, that's a really big, big challenge. So you know, what we've got to do is actually strip it back and say, what, what do we have to do and what the must do uh, and get that sequencing right for them. The farmers, yeah. it's interesting, Tim, you know, they're, they're spending up to 30% of their, their, week, their, their week doing paperwork. Mm. So when you prepare a fresh water plan and when you prepare a farm environmental plan, so much of that's got the same duplicate information. Some of that information, yeah. then they're asked to submit it to a council and then to government. And it's just getting the mentality right that we just can't, 
you know, someone asks, a, you know, well, probably with good intention to, for some information from farmers, but it ends up creating a heap of work. And yeah. we have major challenges with our farming community with respect to mental health. And part of it is just being stressed out because, yeah. you know, they don't feel we value them. They don't feel we love them. Uh, but then we make it unworkable by giving them a whole bunch of stuff that you can't complete one piece of regulation yeah. because the other bit's badly drafted or always working at cross purposes to it. Okay. So, that's the rationale behind those 19 actions. Say, look, let's just have the regulatory load um, smartly managed. Um, so we need good regulation, but let's do it the right way. What about the, because uh, the funny thing is for farmers who love farming, might actually also be looking to, at the end of their careers, uh, sell their farms for carbon credits, and that's just been taken away from them. Uh, a lot of New Zealanders will like this policy, though, because, uh, you know, it, it's, it protects some of our valued farmland. But how do you sort of justify that from a freedom to do with your asset, what you want to do? Yeah, property rights, right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I think, um, look, I mean, I, I sort of get out to farmers, not mo- if not most weeks, every second week for farm, you know, farmyard meetings and, and, and cowshed meetings. And one of the big conversations all the time is, look, our rural communities are changing because we've got these people coming in and buying great sheep and beef land, land in particular. Uh, and then converting it across to forestry for carbon farming. And as a result, rural communities change. The kids at the local rural school start to fall. Ancillary businesses in the town uh, start to go away. Uh, and it's something that we're going to regret tr- tremendously in 30 years' time. So all we're saying is, look, we, we, we respect forestry. It's our fourth biggest you know, it's fourth biggest primary industry sector. It's important for us. Um, but the bottom line is, if you're a foreign company coming to New Zealand to buy sheep and beef land uh, that you then want to turn into just purely forestry for the purposes exclusively of carbon, credits, that's something that we're banning. And to give you a feel for it, probably 5,000 hectares in 2017 when the government came to power was actually uh, used for carbon farming. Now it's close to 50,000 hectares a year and about two-fifths of that seem to go through to international uh, people uh, or companies doing exactly that. And the problem is this, is that there are international companies sitting offshore that are buying you know, New Zealand farmland to plant it out in forestry to get a carbon credit to offset uh, those companies' uh, pollute, pollution in foreign co- countries and jurisdictions. So mm. yeah, we'd sooner that it has benefit for New Zealand and New Zealanders. Okay, looking forward to this week uh, ahead, a couple of final questions. Are you excited about um, tax announcements that we might hear from the government? <laughs> well, the only reason they're going to need to do tax announcements is because they're spending and borrowing like we've never seen before in this country. And if they could get their spending under control, you wouldn't need to uh, increase mm. taxes. So okay. um, let's see, we'll wait and see what they say. But I mean, the bottom line is, uh, the more I look at it, Tim, is that, you know, and a lot of you know, your listeners will remember economic history in the late 70s, early 80s, when you you have high inflation, you end up with interest rates, you end up with a recession, you end up yeah. with unemployment. We have to avoid the pain and suffering that comes with all yeah. of that, and that means get it gripped up and then actually start growing the economy. Okay. And just looking forward to, where are you going to be spending Anzac Day? Um, I'm actually going to go to the Auckland Domain and do the dawn service, um, and then I'm going out to Howick, uh, to Stockade Hill, and, and march in the parade and catch up with the, um, mm. the veterans at the RSA and the pub afterwards. Good stuff. Uh, planting or weeding today in the garden? <laughs> Chainsawing, my friend. Oh, <laughs> chain-soaring. Yeah. oh good Humbling stuff. And oh, and oh I tell you what, that, it's it's the best. Oh, it sounds great. like sounds like a good day. Uh, Christopher Luxon, uh, leader of the National Party. Thanks very much for your time. Really appreciate it. Thanks, Tim. You yeah. have a great afternoon. You too. For more from the Weekend Collective, listen live to News Talk ZB weekends from three pm, or follow the podcast on iHeartRadio.